right, but we'll go ahead and jump over into our Bible study. Uh, of course, if you think of something during the lesson, uh, just jot it down, and after the lesson, you can share that with us, and uh, we'll add it to the list before we close in prayer tonight. In Genesis chapter number 22, continuing to go through Genesis, continuing to look at the life of Abraham, continuing to see... Uh, all that God is doing. And last week, of course, we looked at the sacrifice of Isaac and we looked at it uh, from the, from the uh, practical side, I guess you would say, from the side of Abraham and Isaac, what took place there uh, in that time and in that day. But I mentioned last week that there was a tremendous picture uh, between the sacrifice of Isaac and Calvary. And so tonight we want to take a little bit of time and just look at this type or this picture of Calvary. And so we see the sacrifice of Isaac and in this we see a picture of Calvary. There's many different types or pictures that you'll see through the Word of God uh, that indicate or give us an illustration of Christ. Joseph is a great example of Christ and there's so many similarities we can see between Joseph and Christ. Bro Robbie uh, preached on it here not that long ago and showed us all the comparisons between Christ and Joseph. And we look here at this and we see again a picture of Calvary. There's many comparisons that can be made between the road to Calvary and the journey of Abraham and Isaac to Mount Moriah. And so we're going to take a little bit of time to look at this passage of Scripture again this evening, but instead of looking at it concerning Abraham and Isaac specifically, we're going to be looking at it concerning how it is a picture of the road to Calvary. So let's read again, starting in verse 1 down through verse number 14. Uh, and then we'll get into the lesson tonight. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, and neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. 
Lord, we thank you how you've been good to us through this day. Lord, as we think of, uh, Lord, the many things that uh, could have transpired. And yet, Lord, we are here. We're together. We're in your house. Uh, Lord, we're worshiping together. Lord, we have your word available to us. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can lean on and uh, share our needs and request with. And, uh, Father, we are a blessed people. And, Father, Lord, I thank you that we're able to gather together. Now, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, and, Lord, we remind ourselves, uh, uh, Lord, through this picture of Abraham and Isaac, we remind ourselves uh, of the sacrifice that you made with your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray, uh, Lord, that it'll uh, remind us, Lord, of the importance of being faithful to you and remind us of the value, uh, Lord, of the sacrifice that you made. Thank you, Lord, for each one that is here. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with the uh, team meeting downstairs. We have Pastor Kent as he's uh, speaking to the teens. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with the young people, uh, the, the, the children. Lord, I pray for Aaron as he is speaking to them. Lord, I pray that you'll work with them. Be it the volunteers that are working downstairs. Uh, Lord, just helping with the children, preparing the meals. And Lord, all that is being done. Lord, I pray that a seed is being planted in the hearts of the children. And the Lord will see young people grow up, uh, Lord, with a desire to serve you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for each one that is here this evening. Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here in this passage of Scripture, there's many applications we could see, but there's three uh, applications tonight that I want to look at, three applications to Calvary uh, that I want us to look at from uh, this story of Abraham and Isaac. And so the first thing that I want us to notice tonight uh, as we consider, consider these similarities is the way to the cross, the way to the cross. And so as we look at these, we'll be looking at Abraham and Isaac, but we'll, as we look at Abraham and Isaac, we will be considering how this applies or how this reminds us of Christ going to the cross. When we look in verse 3 down through verse number 9 uh, of this passage, we see that the decision had been made. God had called Abraham. He had said, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son. I want you to go to a place that I will show you. I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Abraham obeyed the Lord. He made the decision to follow the Lord and he set out to, to do what God had asked him to do. He had made the decision and now it was time for Abraham to move toward the place that God had called him to go to. Just as Abraham and Isaac set out to go to the place that God had called them to, we know that Jesus left the portals of glory to go to the place that God had called him to. The Bible tells us, we'll look at a verse in just a little bit, that before the foundation of time, God had set in order a plan that Jesus would be the sacrifice for mankind. I read a great illustration I said that uh, many times uh, we can look at a watch. And a watch, of course, of course, many people nowadays wear these smart watches and they do everything except tell time. And if you don't charge them every day, they'll fail you. I like a good old-fashioned watch that just keeps on ticking and tells me the time. And so this is the kind of watch I'm talking about. But you have a watch, and this watch is designed for one purpose. This watch is designed to tell time. It's designed to record the movement of the earth, the movement of the sun, 
son and relay that information to me. It has time, it has a calendar, and it keeps track of the movement of the earth, the movement of the sun, it keeps track of the seasons, and it relays that information to me. That is what it was designed for. Now, watch doesn't make a very good doorstop. Watch doesn't make a very good coffee cup. Uh, there's a number of things we could look at and say the watch doesn't do any of those things very well. Because why? It wasn't designed to do those things. And so whenever we look at man, man was designed for one purpose, and that purpose was to glorify God. That's what man was designed for. That's why God designed man. And man is at his best when man is glorifying God. He is living his best life. He is fulfilling what God has called him to do when he's glorifying God. But when if we could go back to the watch, every now and again, a watch will stop. If you have the type of watch that you're supposed to wind up, well, when the winding runs down, the watch stops. This watch here has a battery in it. It's supposed to be a 10-year battery. We'll see if it lasts that long. But whenever the battery dies, the watch stops. But whenever the maker made this watch, this is a Casio watch, whenever Casio made this watch, they understood that because of the circumstances, because of the, the, the situation surrounding this watch, they understood that there would come a time when this watch would fail to do what it was designed to do. And so they went ahead when they designed the watch and they put in this watch an element that made it possible to restore it to do what it was supposed to do. In the case of this watch, they put a battery in it so that whenever the elements caused it to quit doing what it was designed to do, we could change the battery and it would go right back to what it was supposed to be doing. The wind-up clock, you just wind it up and you restore it to doing what it was supposed to do. Now, you and I are far more complex than a watch, but we were designed to glorify God. However, God in His wisdom knew that man, because of the circumstances, because of his uh, free will, because of his tendency to selfishness, uh, that there would come a time when man would stop doing what he had been designed to do. So when God designed man, he also designed a plan for redemption. He made a plan that there would come a time that man would be redeemed and man would once again be able to do what God had designed him to do. Many people say, how is it such that Christ was already in place before Adam even sinned? The same way that the watchmaker knew that we'd someday have to replace the battery, God knew there would be a need for a redeemer. And so at the beginning of time, he set that plan of redemption in place. And so when Christ came to earth, when he stepped out of the portals of glory, he was on his way to Calvary. There was no other plan. There was no other alternative. There was no uh, other possibility. He stepped out of the portals of glory. The decision had been made. The plan had been set. He took off on his way to Calvary. We see here the way to the cross. We see that Abraham and Isaac made their way toward the mount and Jesus made his way to Calvary. A couple of things I want to point out about this way to the cross. Uh, first of all, let's look at the significance of the place. The significance of the place. Here in Genesis 22, if you look at verse number 3, the Bible says, uh, 
uh, down at the end of the verse, after he had made his preparations, he had got his men together, he had got the, the wood together, he had got Isaac, everything was in order. And in the verse it says, and rose up and went unto the place. In verse number 4 it says, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. In verse number 9, drop down to verse number 9, the first phrase says, And they came to the place. Over and over and over again we see this emphasis on the place. There is a significance to this place that God had called them to. We find out that God, although he did not tell Abraham immediately, that whenever uh, Abraham got there, God took Abraham to Mount Moriah. Now, uh, Mount Moriah uh, in years to come would become a, a notable site, a place uh, where many acts of faith would take place, uh, but Abraham sacrificing Isaac was the first thing that would take place on Mount Moriah. In, uh, in a thousand years from this sacrifice, David would would build an altar on Mount Moriah and he would make a sacrifice to God uh, for the people. Uh, uh, we know that Solomon would build a temple on Mount Moriah. We know that if we get in the book of Revelation, there are many prophecies that are to be fulfilled uh, on Mount Moriah. But on this day that Abraham set out from home, all of that was in the future. The only thing that was looming in his mind was that he was taking his son to a place to be sacrificed. And we see here that in the same way Jesus went to the place. In Luke 23 and verse number 33, we read these words, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, Abraham and Isaac went to the place and we see the Savior going to the place. There was another mount. There was another significant place where a sacrifice would be made. Another journey came to its fulfillment on a mount, Mount Calvary. And there the sinless Lamb of God would die for the sins of all mankind. In addition to the significance of the place, I want you to consider the symbolism of the wood. Consider the symbolism of the wood on the way to the sacrifice, on the way to the cross, the symbolism of the wood. In verse 6 and 7 it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. They've, they've journeyed for three days. They've come to the foot of the mount. And uh, Abraham has told the servants that they're going to wait there uh, with the animals. And he and Isaac are going to go up on the mount. And at that moment, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, most likely had been carried by the donkey until this point. He took it and he laid it upon Isaac his son. And he, Abraham, took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them, together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? When Abraham, Isaac, and their servants arrived at the foot of Mount Moriah, Abraham took the wood most likely off of the donkey. We know that he claved the wood before he left home. The Bible tells us before he left, he claved the wood. They brought the wood with them. And so most likely the donkey had carried the wood until they got to the foot of Mount Moriah. But when they got there, Abraham took the wood off of the donkey and he laid it on Isaac. Now remember again, Isaac is a picture of Calvary. Whenever we look at the wood, I believe the weight of the wood could be representative of two things. 
First, we see the symbolism between the wood for the sacrifice being carried by Isaac and, of course, the wooden beams of the cross carried by our Savior on his way to Calvary. But there's another application here as well. And remember, whenever you're looking at these type of applications, that many times they will not have every detail, but the application will be there for us to see. Not only do we see the symbolism between the wood for the sacrifice compared to the wood of the cross, but we also see the weight of the wood. And when we look at the weight of the wood, I believe we see the weight of sin. Previously, the wood that Isaac was carrying had been carried by a donkey. Before Christ went to Calvary, the sins of mankind had been temporarily atoned for by the death of an animal. All throughout the Old Testament, the sins of mankind were temporarily atoned for as the lamb was slain and temporarily atonement was made, but the weight of the sin was still there until one day Jesus took the sin of all mankind, that that had been temporarily atoned for, that that had not been atoned for, that which would be committed in the future. He took all the weight of sin up on himself. I believe we see here a beautiful picture uh, of the weight of sin previously temporarily borne by animals, uh, now borne forever uh, uh, by the Savior. As Isaac bore the weight of the wood up the mountain, here he goes. I don't know if he had a bund big bundle of wood. I don't know if he had it on his shoulder. I don't know how he was carrying the wood. But I do know this, that you can carry something that only weighs a couple pounds. And if you carry it very long, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Isaac had the weight of the wood. And he's making his way up the mountain carrying the wood. And with each step, he felt the weight of that burden. And that burden was laid on him by his father. I mean, can you see the comparison? The weight of the wood laid on Isaac to carry to the top, and the weight was laid on him by his father. I think of our Savior on his way to Calvary, and the sin of the whole world is laid on his shoulders, and it's put there by his father. Here goes Isaac up Mount Moriah bearing the weight of this burden that's been laid on him by his father. It's a weight that is difficult to bear, but it's a weight that must be borne. In John 19, verse number 17, we read these words concerning our Savior. It says, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24, we see this. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. In this story of Abraham and Isaac, we see a picture not only of Christ carrying his cross, but we see a picture of Christ bearing the sin of the whole world on that cross. The second application we see between Isaac and Christ uh, not only is found in the way to the cross, but I believe is also found in the similarity in the words of the cross. Here in this story in Genesis 22, there is one conversation recorded between Isaac and his father Abraham. Perhaps it's the only conversation that they had as they walked for three days. Perhaps there were many more conversations. 
Whether there were more or there were none, we know that this conversation is recorded because it's important to the story. Remember, God included everything we need to know and nothing that we didn't need to know. He included this story, and in this story, he recorded this conversation. And I believe in this conversation, we are given a glimpse into the heart of God at the sacrifice of his son. You know, throughout the word of God, there's several passages of scripture that we can go to, such as Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, many other passages of scripture we can go to that reveal to us the suffering of the son on the cross. And rightly so, because his suffering is what paid for our sin. His suffering is what made salvation possible. There's many passages of scripture that reveal to us the suffering of the son. There's not many passages that show us the heart of God. I believe this story of Abraham and Isaac gives us a glimpse into the heart of God and the emotion he felt in giving his son. We see this conversation and uh, whenever we look at this conversation, the first thing that we see, of course, is the record of the question of Isaac, the question of Isaac, the question that he made to his father in verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now there's a lot of speculation that's been made about this verse. Some say that Isaac recognized that there was no lamb and he was beginning to catch on to the fact that he was to be the sacrifice. Others say that Isaac was just genuinely curious as to why there wasn't a lamb. And, and we could speculate for days on that. But I think the point is not whether or not Isaac knew he was going to be sacrificed, but the point is the weight of the question as it was given to Abraham. Whether or not Isaac knew what was going on, Abraham did know what was going on. Abraham did know that this was going to be the end of his son's life. He did know he was taking him up on the mount for the purpose of sacrificing him. And Abraham loved his son. Isaac was the promised heir. He was the seed. He was the key to everything God had said he would give to Abraham and Sarah. There was a bond between Abraham and Isaac. We don't know Isaac's exact age at this point, but it's very likely that he was a teenager or maybe even a young adult at this point in his life. There is a bond between father and son that is, that is very strong at this point. Abraham loves his son. And Isaac says, Dad, where's the lamb? When he said that statement, Abraham knew where the lamb was. And I believe in that moment there was a heart-wrenching feeling in the heart of the father. You know, the text here, as we look at the text, it conveys the details of the conversation. But in our limited ability, we're unable to feel the emotion that took place simply by looking at the text but I believe there must have been an immense amount of emotion whenever Isaac said, where is the lamb? I believe in the same way that we may miss the emotion that was in this conversation. I believe many times we miss the emotion that must have existed between God the Father and the precious, spotless Son of God. I think about the prayers of the Savior there on your worksheet. In Matthew 26 and verse number 39, Jesus 
on his way to the cross there in Gethsemane. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I believe sometimes we miss the emotion. As fathers, we are to exhibit the love of God towards our children. But yet many times I believe we miss the fact that God loved His Son. If my children ask me for something and they're asking in reason, I want to give it to them. If my children are hurting and they ask me for something, I even more so want to give it to them. If my children are being uh, have to do something that is difficult for them, my heart yearns to help them with what they're doing. And all that I can express is just a piece of the love, just a fraction of the type of love that God had for His Son. And Jesus said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I believe that there was a strong emotion in the heart of God toward His Son. I believe there was a desire to let that cup pass. But the Father knew that the sacrifice had to be made. When Isaac looked at Abraham and said, Where is the lamb? Abraham, with everything in it, he wanted to turn around and go back off that mount. But he knew the sacrifice had to be made. I think also Matthew 27 and verse number 46, Jesus is on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can you imagine the heart of God as his beloved son cried out from the cross? Why hast thou forsaken me? So we see, we see the prayers of the Savior. But then we think that the question of Isaac and the prayers of our Savior must have caused pain for the Father. And there, let us see, we see the pain of the Father. Abraham gave his answer in verse number 8. Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. And even Abraham did not understand the weight of the answer that he gave. And we're going to look at that just a little bit here in a moment. Abraham did not realize what he was saying whenever he told Isaac, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. But I believe in his heart he was aching because he knew that Isaac was set to die. But then as we consider the words of the cross, let's not forget the promise of a lamb. We see here in verse number 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And as we well know, whenever it came time to cut Isaac's throat, the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham and he said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do anything to the boy. Now we know that he stopped Abraham, one, because Abraham had proven that he was willing to do whatever God had asked him to do. We also understand that there was never an intent to take Isaac's life because once Abraham completely surrendered his will, God stopped what was going to take place. There was never an intent on God's part to take Isaac's life. But there was an intent on his part to, to paint a picture of a needed sacrifice. There was also in this story, a message that Isaac's not the lamb, but there's coming a day when God will provide 
a lamb. I find it interesting that in the story, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, y'all have to forgive me, but I find it interesting in the story that Abraham turned around and he saw a ram caught in a bush. And of course, a ram was a fitted animal that could be offered for a sacrifice, but a ram is not a lamb. There is a lamb that, is, that was yet to be provided. And Abraham, as he's walking up Mount Moriah, not even realizing what he said, prophetically told his son, God will provide a lamb. And the angel of the Lord said, Stop, Abraham. Stop. He's not the lamb. The lamb is yet to come. We see here in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 18, and I think on your worksheets I realized after we had printed them that I forgot to put all these New Testament references on there. So if you want to jot these down for later reference, you can. But in 1 Peter 1 and verse number 18, it says, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you weren't redeemed with those things. You can't purchase your redemption. No, but in verse number 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Get this, verse number 20. We talked about this just a little bit ago. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Abraham, God, will provide a lamb. Peter, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, said he was foreordained before the beginning of time to be that lamb. And he's been manifested in these days for you, your sacrifice, your lamb. But then lastly, this evening, I want us to take a couple moments and consider the work of the cross. We've seen the way of the cross, the words of the cross, but let's look this evening at the work of the cross. There's three things I want you to consider here concerning the work of the cross. First, we see the giving of the Son. The giving of the Son. In verse number 9 of our text, And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. I notice the detail that's given right here. Now, I'm not speaking ill of the Word of God to say this because, as I said a minute ago, He tells us everything we need to know and nothing we don't need to know. But sometimes in Bible stories, uh, an amazing story is told in just a few words. Much detail is often left out of the stories that are recorded in the Word of God. But we come here, Isaac and Abraham and Isaac have gotten to the place and God records some very significant detail about what's taken place. They've walked for three days. They've carried the wood to the top of the mountain. They get to the place, and the Bible says, and Abraham, it says, let's read it again. It says, and Abraham built an altar. This takes some time. He built an altar. After he built the altar, he laid the wood in order on the altar. Then he bound Isaac, his son, and then he laid him on the altar upon the wood. I see here the giving of his son. When he left home headed for Mount Moriah, he had made the decision to do what God had asked him to do, but he had the opportunity to go back home. When he got to the place of the sacrifice, you know what a lot of times we can, 
you know, have a lot of nerve about doing something until we get there. Uh, remember, I went whitewater rafting with a group of young folks once in uh, New River Gorge, and about halfway through, they had this uh, rock that's way up in the air, and they like, you know, we'll park a raft here. You can go jump off of that rock and land in the water. Well, I don't swim. I swim like a rock, and so I'm like, I'll stay right here in the raft. Y'all go have fun. And so I'm sitting down there in the raft watching everybody. They're all gun-ho. They scramble up the side of the hill. They get up there on that rock, and they come running like they're going to jump off, and they get to the edge of that rock, and I mean, they put the brakes on it. All of a sudden, all that nerve left when they seen just how far it was from the rock to the water. And then the guy, he's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. It's really deep. And he has to coax and convince and persuade and, in order to get them to jump off because it sounded good until they got to the place of commitment. Now, that's kind of a light story to compare to a serious thing. Whenever you get to the place where it's time to build the altar, all of a sudden the reality comes home. And when you begin to construct that altar, it starts getting real. When you lay the wood on the altar, it's getting time. He bound his son, and then he laid him on the altar. He gave his son. The Bible tells us in John 3 and verse number 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. In 1 John 4 and verse number 9, it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Our love for God will never, no matter how devoted we are, our love for God will never, ever, ever, ever compare to the love that God had for us that he portrayed when he gave his son for our redemption. We see the work of the cross and the giving of the son. But not only we see the work of the cross and the giving of the son, but we see the work of the cross in the separation of the father. The separation of the father. Up to this point, Abraham and Isaac have been walking together. They've been walking side by side, father and son, on the same mission, going to the same place to accomplish the same thing, working together. But at this point, there came a separation between the father and the son. The father was getting ready to take the life of his son. No longer are they together but there has been a separation between the Father and the Son. Whenever we think about the road to Calvary, all the way to Calvary, the Father and the Son are walking together. Jesus praying in Gethsemane, speaking to the Father, my God, uh, uh, let this cup pass from me. Together, all through his earthly ministry, together, when he got to the cross, he said in the verse we read just a little bit ago, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now there's some debate as to exactly what was meant by Christ in that moment because we know that three days later he was resurrected from the dead. God did not forsake his son. But in that moment, the weight of the sin of the whole world was laid on the Savior. And in order for him to give his life, there had to be a separation. Boy, I'm telling you what, in that moment, 
in that moment, the work of Calvary was done. We see here Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Separation of the father. But lastly, let's consider the provision of the lamb. And a little bit ago I told you I was getting ahead of myself and that, that's what I did. This is the point I got ahead of myself on. But we see the provision of the lamb in verse number 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt sacrifice or a burnt offering in the stead of his son. We see that a lamb was provided. There on that day, God provided a substitute for Isaac. God has provided a substitute for you and I in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that Abraham told Isaac, God will provide a lamb. And God said, Isaac's not the lamb. There is yet to be a lamb. But God did provide that lamb. In Galatians 4, 4, we know this verse well. I quote it all the time. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. I tell you, I love that verse. He sent to his son. In John 1, verse number 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 12, it says, Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We've seen early on that God promised a lamb, and now we see that he provided a lamb. We see here in this story of Abraham and Isaac a beautiful picture of what Christ did for us on Calvary when he provided a way of salvation. He made a way that mankind can be free from this world of sin. He made a way that we could be born again. Boy, I tell you what, I love looking at the Word of God. It just rejoices my heart to be reminded over and over and over again of all that God has done for me. Brother Danny was teaching in uh, Sunday school a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was this past Sunday, but I think it was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Brother Danny was teaching, and uh, he said that he did a little math and he figured that in his lifetime, in this church, he's heard over 12,000 messages. Isn't that the number you said, brother? 12,000 messages. But when he said that, I'm like, well, how many messages have I heard in my life, you know? And so I just did a little math on 40 years, three messages a week, and I'm like, man, that's over 8,000. My goodness. But you know what? Whether it's been 8,000 or 12,000, I'm not giving your age away, brother. That's not the case. <laughs> Whether it's 8,000 or 12,000, it never gets old never gets old and we can listen to it over and over and over again and it ought to thrill our heart just like the first time we heard it. And it ought to challenge us to take this story, take it to the world, and let them know that there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. All righty.